This story could have been about a lot of things. Oh yeah, it could have been about diversity and adversity in Starfleet. Oh yeah, it could have been about love that can overcome anything. But instead, it's time for fucking in zero gravity, folks. Hello and welcome to The Rolls of Acquisition, a podcast where we will be talking about the greatest TV show in history. Yeah, that's right. It's better than Game of Thrones. <laughs> <laughs> Come fuck, at me, bros. Fuck Game of Thrones. <laughs> Deep Space Nine, bitches. <laughs> it's definitely uh, more uh, sensitive towards human beings and women and small children. With me, as always, is James Nolan. Hello, guys. And Hugh Crawford. Hello, gentlemen. And and I am Wade Bowen, as you probably know, like you did. <laughs> but anyway. We assume this isn't the first podcast you've listened, listened with us. Yeah, I hope. That, well, I, if it is, welcome. I love you. I hope I didn't wear you out by saying I love you just now. <laughs> I don't really know you. Uh, Boundaries, I love Wade. That you're Boundaries. Speaking of love or not, we're talking about an episode called Melora. Yes, Melora. Melora is, um, what is this, the fifth uh, episode sixth. of this season? Love the season two, yeah. No, this is episode six. This is episode six. It originally aired on October 31st, 1993. Uh, the IMDb description is as follows. A new arrival to the station with a special gravity-based disability appeals to Bashir's heart. Meanwhile, an old associate of Quark's comes to the station to kill the barkeep. Um, this one is called Melora. I, I, um, I don't like this one, guys. <laughs> uh, this one's got some problems. I don't. This one is our first, our first uh, turd of season two. I, think. I don't. I don't hate it. It's like James with the. I like it. No, I don't know if I like it, but I don't. I don't hate it. What I wrote in the last line I wrote in my notes is this story has no plot, but it has a story somewhere in it. Like, and I, and I feel like this, like, this was like, maybe like a poor mindset episode where like the show wasn't like the writer's room, the show, the producers just weren't oriented towards writing what this episode needed to be. And so they just gave us a shit sandwich that tried to conform to some sort of Star Trek ideal. Yeah. Okay. That's my problem is, is what is the thesis of this show? (laughs) No idea. The thesis is that people who are differently abled are cranky people too and they have their own well, deeply flawed they're not deeply they're just like all the rest of us right okay so let me uh this okay this story has like a hefty sort of like uh origin story i think i should just kind of dive into yeah that. i saw like at the opening credits and I, all i saw were a bunch of names when script or the writers it was like there's a lot <laughs> yes. of cooks in this one that does not yeah, bode well okay so this episode was written by evan summers who is only written one episode before we talked about him last season. He wrote Battle Lines. Right, which we liked. Which was the Jonathan fucking Mm -hmm. Banks episode. And we liked that episode. He was an intern on Deep Space Nine or a gopher or something that 
pitched battle lines. He's the one that also wrote or did the documentary about people with disabilities, right? He is a disabled man, a, a differently abled man. <laughs> he was in a wheelchair. He is now, uh, he's no longer with us. He was like, a, he was wheelchair bound for most of his life. I guess the character of Melora, not Melora, it wasn't a woman, but a character in a wheelchair because she was from a low gravity planet was in the original Michael Pillar pitch for the show. Right, I did read that like somewhere in the things you didn't know about Deep Space Nine, one of those yeah. listicles, there was supposed to be yeah. like a character that was like maybe floating around or something or in a wheelchair. And they're like, fuck, this is going to cost too much. We'll do, we'll give you an episode in season two or something. Yeah. Like. Because they were going to do, it was going to be like the science officer. It was before they had Dax. It was going to be the science officer who had like a, a workspace that would be zero gravity. And you would do like, you would see her do the flywire shit. Like Melora does in one scene. And then they like priced that out. And then mm-hmm. saw like how much it would cost and then said, fuck it. They cut the character. Evan Summers was aware of this character existing in some sort of pitch stage. So he took that and pitched a story to Michael Pillar about. And they made it a woman because he really liked the idea of a couple having sex in zero gravity. I'm <laughs> <Gross>. not kidding. <laughs> yeah, that, that, well, that made it in. <laughs> yeah, it did. That was a deal breaker for him on the script process. So he wrote this screenplay <laughs> that in his mind wanted to create correct the mistakes of an episode that I don't actually remember of TNG called Ethics, where Worf breaks his back. Do you guys remember this? And feels that he's worthless, and because of his Klingon code, he attempts to commit... Yeah, I, I, I remember he, this. Maybe, I he, I remember does he commit... Episode. He tries to commit suicide, or... He lets on... He, like, tips his hand that that's what he wants, and then that's, you know, they... They talk about out of it. Right. It's like, I'm not a Klingon if I can't I, fight. I don't, Will you ask yeah. for euthanasia or something? Yeah, and that seems... I don't know. That seems in keeping to the character of Worf. But anyway, so Evan Summers thought this was offensive mm-hmm. because Worf in a wheelchair is just as empowered as Worf not in a wheelchair. So he wanted to write sort of a story about this, and he wanted to cram into it all of the experiences that he had in a wheelchair, living life in a wheelchair. And one of the things that made it into the show was how much trouble it was navigating the Deep Space Nine set. Oh, yeah. Like, Ops is all different which, levels yeah which is <laughs> all no ramps yeah. and ops yeah which Except is until they put them in in this episode yeah. i guess so he writes this story about how this woman is determined and how she you know she doesn't view that her handicap is a flaw and specifically the the hitch of the story which is that bashir who's becomes her love interest kind of comes up with a way to cure her and she chooses not to be cured because of what she does lose in her experience. That was important to Evan Summers to write that story, mm-hmm. that people in wheelchairs have as much experience in life. You know, they, they have as rewarding things in their lives just as right. which as fully able, you know, whatever. Which is uh, admirable. Yeah, you shouldn't, they're yes. not, they're not like intrinsically less worth. They don't have less worth than people otherwise they can contribute. Mm. So Evan <laughs> Summers turns in the script and Ira Bear rejects it out of hand. Do you want to add this to your theory of him being a hack or just an asshole or, or put, what? A pin, put a pin in it on that board. I don't want to talk <laughs> gotcha. much about it because then at, at some point, Evan Summers was told then, like, like he got a phone call later. It's like, no, now it's going through the rewrite process, but we will not ask you to be a part of the rewrite. <laughs> Too <process."> much fucking. <laughs> yeah. The story has no plot. And I think that it doesn't sound like it had a plot when it was turned in. But when you told me that, it's like, this guy really wanted to have sex in zero G. I, I think, think that, well, but I mean, I think maybe if you're but, a yeah. paraplegic, like, and you 
have fantasies, that might be one of the things you fantasize about. Sure, sure. Yeah. And Star Trek has all been about, like, slash fiction basically got its start with Star Trek. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, no. So, like, I think that that was one of the things that played out. And then uh, it just went through the worst rewrite process. There are one, two, three different screenwriting processes, including the executive producer of the show. Clearly showed that there was all hands on deck to fix Oh, yeah. This. When they got to the written by, the whole screen filled up with names. I was like, oh, shit, this episode is going to suck. Evan Summers is very clear that he hated the finished script. He talks about it quite a bit, quite extensively, mm-hmm. that he di- that he believes that Melora, yeah. yeah, who comes off as a, um, a total bitch and, and is unreasonable towards her relationships with the cast and... And all of those sort of things. And so he believes that that was added in post or wrote added in the rewrite process. And he kind of rejects it. Those people were so passive aggressive about me. They were they they were just calling me an asshole in that script is what he was. He doesn't say that, but he was on set. He was like he was a guy on set. He was the guy. He was the guy. Like if you were to go visit the deep space nine set, he was the guy in the wheelchair. Like, you know, like that, that's who he was. Oh, you'd notice. So like, I I get the feeling that he put that into the script. And I think that maybe they didn't like Mm -hmm. what they saw there. And, you know, like we, the writer's room, Ira Bear's a hack. And so I think that like they tried to make it. But one of the (laughs) things that no one ever, that no one ever fixed was this awful dangling quirk story, which is like. I I have thoughts on the quirk storyline that I'll get to. Actually, real quick, the one of the few things I found redeemable about this episode is the fact that the A and B storyline tied together at the end. That's what I was going to say. I was going to wait until, yeah. That was one of the. Finally, this is the first time we've had an A plus and a B-plot that actually intersected at the end. And it was kind of a relief that it intersected. Yeah, it like, like, oh, finally. I thought and that was a problem in the story because it meant that they couldn't cut it. So, like, they knew that, like, the whole, that was the culmination of the storyline, but because it was the culmination, they couldn't fuck with it very much. Oh, uh, okay. Well, maybe before before we jumped all the way to the end, <laughs> let's just start at the beginning then. Yeah, she's an Elysian. Cardassian construction is not compatible. They with did not have the. They did not have people. the ADA in Cardassia. And then we, at the very beginning, pre-credit scene, we get Stalker, creepy perv Julian back. <laughs> it was like I haven't met her, but I've looked up all her files. And then she finally comes on. She's a bitch, and she's bitchy about like everybody's right, trying right. to be nice about her handicap because she comes from this planet that has like no gravity, so she must be on a really small planet. Right. So she's like really weak because she basically needs essentially zero G's to exist. So she has to live in like a Batman from Kingdom Come exoskeleton and most of the time is in a wheelchair. (laughs) Right. That's exactly. It's not a wheelchair. That's exactly what it looks like. Oh, we need to get a side by side of that. Put that up on the blog <laughs> because that's exactly what that looks like. But it's not a wheelchair. They they call it a trolley car. They and they, do, and then they go on to call it a chair for the rest of the episode. But she, when she shows up, it's like, oh, I see you made the trolley car according to my specification. No, he didn't make it. Oh, he right. he improved like, oh. upon it, and that made her bitchy. Because she practiced. You know, you know what? I, I'm with her on that. And I think we should briefly comment on. Uh, Melora, who's played by Daphne Ashbrook, is, uh, even though she's got some forehead things and some pearl corn rolls that look like they were from... She's got some, like, a, a few, like, Bo Derek braids. Yes. <laughs> the De Beers Lollapalooza look. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's got some Bo Derek hair, but, like, done up in a in an up hairstyle. And not the whole... She is, to hair. the eye, totally fuckable. 
And I think that that's like a thing that they didn't want her to be like unattractive. Like she's in a wheelchair, but she doesn't right. look like a Morton Joe's son. Right, right. But and you just let her hair down, and she gets so much more attractive. Yeah, I wish I almost oh, wish she like, looked like a Morton Joe's son, because then that would have made Bashir wanting to fuck her even more interesting. At least that would have been something. Yeah, like yeah, they want to deal with handicaps, but they still, you know, she's still got to be fun. They're still hung up on appearances. Yeah, yeah. Well. I mean, if we're going to show some zero G fucking, we don't want to watch a troll now, do we? The puppet from the puppet from a racer head floating around with Julian <laughs> yeah. naked. Yes, the woman that sings the heaven song in a racer. Well, oh, the radiator lady. Yeah, <laughs> basically anybody from a racer head. We don't want to see them. <laughs> yeah, we don't want to see anybody in a racer head having sex. While we're while we're talking about Melora, David Lynch, Daphne Ashbrook is the sister of the guy who played Bobby in <laughs> Twin Peaks. Like a major big Twin Peaks figure. Another tie to the season two of Deep Space Nine that uh, has with uh, Twin Peaks. So. Oh, right. Well, season one we had, um, what's his name? The Man from Nowhere. Yeah, right, right, right. Uh, the little person. And then we had, uh, yeah, then we had, uh, I think that was Bobby's Right, the, the, the Bajoran War Hero. Yeah, we're keeping like a Twin Peaks DS9 yeah, scorecard. Yeah, I think we are. For those of you keeping that track at home. But she yeah. was also in the 1996, she was a companion or something for Doctor yeah. Who? Yeah, she the was Paul in McGann. the, this is a, yeah, this is, she wow. actually is so, more famous I mean, for being in the Paul McGann Americanized Doctor Who movie. Yeah, I mean, I feel like we can't be a self-respecting nerd podcast if we don't <laughs> mention that she was in Doctor Who. And who is by the fact that he made that movie and then Doctor Who didn't publish anything for, for 12 years. Paul McGann is the longest serving doctor and she is the longest serving companion. What, just because she killed the franchise? <laughs> Basically. <laughs> yeah, but Paul McGann, I guess there were books or some shit for that entire oh, yeah. length. So it was all the Paul McGann doctor in those books. So he is right. like the they longest him served. Yeah. And they did bring him back for like a, a web video version when they did the 40th anniversary or something. Eric Roberts is also in that movie, right? Sure. Yeah, I, I, I think he's the I master. Did, I, I, only, I only clicked enough to see that she was a doctor something something that was maybe a companion. All right, let's move on back to All Star right. Trek nerddom. We jump to the court scene where he's got a ring of paltris. He's got a bunch of rings of paltris. He's selling to a dude. The ring of paltris, by the way, is the ugliest looking dumb shit like MacGuffin that he's ever saw. Right, but the planet's going to be real happy to have him back for some yeah. reason. And then he does a weird little arm salute where they just like point elbows at each other or something. And Fallot Cot, or who I will heretofore refer to as Turkey Waddle. <laughs> you call him Turkey up. Waddle. He looked like an alien with a refrigerator handle in the middle of his face. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like a turkey waddle that connected it. Yeah, this episode's about handicaps. He's got the biggest handicap an alien species has ever had. His jawline is connected to his nose. Right. So he can't eat. Right. Well, the first question I had is like, how does he eat? That's weird. But then the next scene he's in, Quark feeds him. Well, that's and that's what irritates me about the design of. That's what irritates me about about some of the design. They they have no thought about like evolutionary science. (laughs) behind how would a species like that even well, survive? Yeah, but to, I do appreciate you know. the first question I asked was, how does he eat? The next scene he's in, Cork is feeding he's him eating. and he's eating. He's like, oh, thank you. Because I that was a question that I had. I don't respect any <laughs> alien species that can't eat a Dagwood sandwich. He can open his lips, but he can't right. open his jaw. Like, why Why did that ever happen? Can, can I get a knife and fork, please? Like, Quark gets a, it's a party platter from Subway and that guy's really bummed <laughs> yeah, out. You're not respecting my disability, you Asshole. Why are you scared of an 
of an alien species that has a handle on their face. It was the dumbest alien design that I've seen. Yeah, so well, I give them credit for going outside the box. I couldn't identify it as either male or female right. genitalia. So, as far as I'm concerned, <laughs> that's a step in the they right direction. away from the crotch for the, the face thing. <laughs> that starts the whole idea that I guess that the whole storyline with that is that Quark and this guy was bootlegging Romulan, Romulan ale. Romulan ale. I didn't know cons- what that was that contraband. Yeah, that's one of the things from... They always have a wink and a smile when they have Romulan ale in the original series because it's contraband. Yeah, it's right. treated like Cuban cigars where like even like the admirals are stealing it because it's so right yeah and so but they're is it still is it still contraband in the next generation because are they still at war with the romulans yeah oh yeah yeah there's a whole oh yeah they that's the new neutral zone and in fact in season six or seven after in the pale moonlight which we all remember what that episode's about in the season six of deep space nine they actually have an episode because of where the Romulans and the Federation are at the end of that episode have a thing where they're drinking Romulan ale and talking about how it's legal again. So, so Quark and this handle face were rum runners essentially, and only the handle face guy got caught because Quark threw him under the bus, and now handle right. face wants revenge, mm-hmm. right? And he's lurking yes, around the exactly. station. He's not really doing; he's just lurking around the station. And then eventually, Quark like tattletales to Odo, right? Yeah. And I think it should be said that this actor has chosen to play this. The actor for Handleface has chosen to play the role very. Low oh, you mean key. Turkey Waddle? <laughs> Almost. Yeah. <that's- laughs> yeah, Turkey. Waddle. I said I'm gonna. I'm, I'm. I'm standing by my guns. You can call him whatever you want. <laughs> turkey Waddle. I know you call him what you want. Handleface Tur- is fine, but I'll. Turkey Waddle is playing is turkey very waddle. low key. <laughs> Almost to the point of being underplayed, like like almost like a stagehand is reading his lines. But I actually liked that. Like later on in the in the episode, I don't mind it at all. Yeah, I thought Turkey Waddle was fine. Yeah, yeah. Everybody else, like Evan Summers, hates that performance, and so does like everybody in the writing staff. They wanted like big Doctor Doom villain. Real, like, like ha, 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 ha and like it's not that. Come on, dude, so, like, that's not the problem with this episode. Get your head out of your <laughs> ass, guys. Come on. They all think it is. I like this guy's under underplayed performance. It's a very modern. Me too. It's almost like golden age of television performance. It's almost yeah. yeah it's almost under. It's very understated. He just says his lines. He's like, look, I got stuff to do. You're gonna let me go, release the tracking beam. I ain't got all day to talk about this. Like, <laughs> right, like right. you know, it's it's a very it. Right. And uh, then, I'm okay, so we have so. that scene, and then we go back to yeah. perving after Melora. So he takes her back to her, her room. And, well, no, he just starts negging her, actually. <laughs> like, if I could. Dude, dude, I actually think this was a bit of a well written scene. I guess, but I was like. Are you are you gonna go against. Are you gonna go Because I kind of like. I'm, I'm just. I'm still stuck that Julian is a pervy jackass. And he he throws some fucking um he sir fucks a lot like in scene. Uh, yeah he's being sir fucks a lot yeah well yeah he, he he's playing he's playing the game he's going full pickup artist and it comes in and starts nagging her and says yeah I mean you're pretty smart but you're kind of a bitch sometimes basically and she's like what and okay she okay falls you're going with it. the you're going with the yeah. mystery <laughs> handle and you might you. Uh, Okay, it's yeah, throwing me yeah, off my yeah. game. Because I was going to argue that this was actually a pretty well-written scene. <laughs> and a pretty... I'm uh, going to wait on this one. I know. That, I that's know. what okay. he, he came off as a complete creep when he was doing that shit. It was like he knew what he was doing. Mm-hmm. But I think uh, that like, he was... Okay, I, maybe. 
I mean, Maybe. in 1993, we didn't have these rules codified, so nobody knew that he the the rule the game was not written, so he wasn't. He came about it naturally. Yeah, I, I actually think this may be a, a total... pure Evan Summers scene. So, like, this was written by a guy in a wheelchair who probably picks up girls while he's written in a wheelchair. So maybe he's really good at the naked. <laughs> like, maybe he's really good at the game. Um, <laughs> he calls it the acid. Yes. Um, like, uh, <laughs> that's a David Foster Wallace <laughs> reference. <laughs> we just made a David Foster <laughs> Wallace <laughs> reference on our podcast, guys. <laughs> we're better than oh, oh you didn't get it we're better than nerds <laughs> no okay so, but um <laughs> but we um yeah that's right nerds <laughs> we're, we're educated no um we are uh no but anyway so like i think that like he yeah he's actually located like uh like she has she does have flaws she came off like an asshole to cisco because cisco's like dude i'm treating you like a normal ensign that i just treat normal ensigns like shit like you know, I I would pref- I listen to Brashear and Dax's opinions over all incense who come in here and think they know how to fucking run the place, and right. I'm not treating you any yeah, differently. Yeah. And so I think that Bashir was backing that up, yes, with the intent purposes of specifically taking her to a like a to a Klingon restaurant, but like like and also like he was clear in his intentions to fuck her. He was like, who's this guy in the picture? Why do you have a picture of another guy in your house? Ha- like, oh, like, yeah. am I, am I on? Is that your husband, your boyfriend? Yeah, or? yeah. Like, are you fucking this guy? Because I, I, I got a game here. But like, you know, I think that he still came off as like the whole red alert. If nothing else, it was more sophisticated than the dumb idiot that Bashir has been portrayed as. From, I think yeah, that's what it is. The bar was set point. so low for so long for Bashir coming on to women. That when it this one comes up, he actually looks halfway. Yeah, because he know, like like, like he understands. Yeah, how he knows human what he's doing. He's not should, should take place. He always had the he upper has, hand. He's not impressing her with a test this time. Yeah, yeah. He always had the upper hand when he did the ooh red alert. You're throwing me off with your dancing references. You know, like I understand you're in a wheelchair. What the fuck? Let's move on. Do you want to <laughs> go eat some worms? And 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 he worked, and it worked, and and I bought that it worked. Unlike any other Bashir trying to fuck a girl episode. Okay, so if they, yeah, they end up together eventually. They end. Up, she invites him to the Klingon restaurant, which obviously the Klingon motif is probably a callback to the episode where the guy was offended where Worf gets paralyzed. It's like, oh, oh, she's a str- She's in the Klingon food. Ah, yes, yeah. She really. Uh, by the way, uh, props to Daphne Ashbrook on that scene. She really leans into the Star Trek. I think in that scene. She does the Klingon stuff with uh, oh, like a yeah. plum. Like she really, yeah. she really puts her shoulder into selling that shit. So. Eating her worms, seaweed, and sweet potatoes, or, or whatever. And arguing with the Klingon chef. Yeah, the Gogtek R. And then, and it's like, oh, you, it's no good for half dead rot. <laughs> Which actually brings a good question to me: if it's Klingon food. It's not from a replicator because it has to be alive, right? It's not very vegan of them. Yeah, I noticed, like, my my wife commented, she watches some of the episodes with me, she commented that sometimes they they do this, like, unevenly, where they treat the Klingon culture as gross and also like a delicacy. Right. There's scenes in some things where they're like, oh, look, they leave their food live and they leave them on the ships. It seems like there's easy jokes to be made in some of the Star Trek movies and stuff like that. 
But then there's other times where like like the Rocktochino fad and the, the the Klingon barbecue, which is kind of a, like seems like a Mongol all the Mongolian barbecues I've ever been mm-hmm. to, except for worms. Mongolians don't eat yeah, worms. Rocked. But like, uh, <laughs> yeah, rocked. But like, it seems like that that sort of a either Star Trek can't make its mind up, or this episode happens at like a fulcrum between the transition between Klingon culture is gross to Klingon culture is like super hip among the Federation. Right, right. They, everybody loves and like Klingon everybody's opera. like yeah, like everybody's talking about Klingon opera. Everybody's talking about rock the chinos. Everybody's going to the Mongolian Klingon barbecue that's on the promenade. Right. Yeah. Even TNG so. does with Klingon opera a little bit. People are into it. Well, I'm just gonna get to the the space fucking the zero grab fucking and then i want to oh yeah yeah in, well but they're in so so always but, always interrupt so, yeah fucker. yeah julian tells a story about his dad who's a diplomat which who was a diplomat and there's an ivernian girl and ivernia too that he did that's why he's a doctor or something but i like that i think that story is actually a little bit more interesting than than that maybe i god damn it am i am i too soft on this season i don't I know i think so I think that story is actually not that bad because he tells the story, the saccharine story about seeing a girl die from a medicine they could have treated him with if they were just smart enough to know that. Yeah, I think that's fine. That's and then, and then they, they were like, that's what makes you want to be a doctor. And he's like, no, I want to be a tennis star. Like, I think that that like, sh- like, like Bashir, that was like some character building. He was like, no, of course I'm not that altruistic. I wanted to be vain and egotistical. Like, right. you know, but I you know at me, tennis, apparently. but I sucked yeah, yeah. at tennis, so I had to resort to this. And so I almost told this story because I'm trying to fabricate some sort of, like, I almost look at him as like a, uh, I'm going to, you mentioned Game of Thrones. I'm going to bring him as like this Jamie Lannister. No, he has no depth, but he wants to have depth. And he knows uh-huh. what depth would look like as a character. And so he See, like. that's better. That's better than the the new David Foster Wallace reference I wanted to make about him playing <laughs> tennis, but I'll leave that oh, alone. Okay. <laughs> okay, no, like that. I think he wants to have depth, and he has this origin story that would have worked, but that's not true. And so I think that I, I like that he tells her that it's not true. Like he could have totally yeah, no. pulled. He, he that was a panty peeler story. He could have gotten her pants with that story, but he shit on it. But he totally got into the fizzy lifting room and had sex with her after that dinner. Yes, so he I would did. say the story worked. <laughs> yes. So. You're giving him a lot of credit there. <laughs> I am starting to believe that my lifelong belief that Alexander Sadig is a pretty good actor is shaken to the core. I'm facing the abyss on this, man. Well, so did like, I, and I'm between not the like the things that I've recently <laughs> seen him in, like Game of Thrones, and he's boring and and they killed him off. Well, that's not his fault. Yeah, nah. I felt like if he was did a good job, they would have. He kept didn't him have around. a chance to do anything. They're, you sit there, and then we're going to kill he you. He didn't that's earn. He didn't that. earn his place on that show. But they killed him off. But that's fine. But I'm watching this show, and I realize that his instincts aren't great. He's probably he's close to the bottom, as we said in our season one wrap up. He's close to the bottom, if not the bottom, of quality on the show. Like, so I'm willing to give Alexander Sadig. I'm willing to shit on Alexander Sadig. But I think that the writers at least in this season, are starting to do a little bit of a better job of writing. No, they are. And I will say this is the second time. Yeah, this is this is a definite improvement. Yeah, <laughs> this is the second time I've actually noticed his horrible delivery of the line. Ah, ah, Whoa. ah. Because <laughs> first oh, no! in Move Along Home, which is the worst, we've agreed to different yes. degrees. 
Uh, and also when he's when she turns off the gravity and there she's like, "Welcome to the fizzy lifting room. Let's go have sex." <laughs> he has like a ah uh, ah uh, 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 uh. He doesn't know how to deliver ahs very well. I just. I can't yes. Because it was so auditorily bad <laughs> that it was like so ridiculous. And it's not even like like let's just admit it. Oh, like totally. This is not that exciting what they're doing. No. They're doing flywheel. They're doing like zipline flywheel. No, they're doing Peter like, Pan people shit. Do yeah, this. Yeah. They're doing Peter Pan shit. And later on, there's like this, oh my god, I can't believe that Melora like beat the handle faced guy. With, like, her, like, knowledge of how to float in zero grab. No, she just pushed off the edge. It was like she was in a fucking pool. <laughs> Any one of us could have done That's this. True, yeah. Like, astronauts do this shit all the time. Yeah. Like, though, though, it's to give them credit, spectacular. I'd, pro- I'd probably feel pretty stupid yelling, uh, 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 when in the Peter Pan shit, too. I, I, I couldn't have pulled it off any better. But I'm not a great actor either, maybe. But that's it. But the, let's go real quick to the zero grav space fight, though. I mean, it didn't exactly look like Bruce Lee's zero yes. gravity. Like it's not impressive. It's not. It, it just. They it literally looked like Tom Hanks in Apollo thirteen pushing off one end of the capsule to get to the other. I get the feeling they were like, "Well, this is the best we could do without going on a vomit comet." No, you didn't have to go on the vomit <laughs> comet could, for this. They could no. not afford a vomit comet on this. No, they couldn't afford a vomit comet, but that's also no excuse because it, what she did was she pushed off a panel and hit, like hit. What did you call him? Uh, I don't tur- want to just call him. <laughs> you can call him handle face. face. Turkey I gum. call him turkey waddle. Handle- you call him. Tur- <laughs> uh, I. She did, she hit handle face in the in the and like she just pushed off and she did that. If it was a fight in a pool, any one of us could have done it. <laughs> it probably like, beat her because she's weaker because her low gravity. And the way that everybody panicked and like it was all ridiculous and like yeah, it was yeah. ridiculous. It because was ridiculous yeah, in between, like, Julian has a process, a thing where he can make her walk through science. In between, she get <laughs> yeah. okay. That was straight up creepy because here he is. Yeah. He, he gets a girlfriend, right? <laughs> and then once he, they're in a relationship, that's when he decides to cure her. It's like if they didn't hook up, how how would this cure shake out? You know, how motivated would he be to actually cure her? I, I actually want to say more about this, but well, I want to say more, uh, this is really tied into the what I would change about this episode. So I, I, right, I have okay, responses okay. to that. So we'll, we'll save it. Um, Turkey Waddle and Odo gets kidnapped. When he steals the runabout, and then she turns off the gravity and 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 knocks him out or whatever. But I do. Mm-hmm. I feel like I have to say we're in there because our podcast has named it. We get another role of acquisition number yes. sixteen. Yes, which is a deal is a deal, which is the most unferengi rule of acquisition I think we've had. <laughs> but whatever. <laughs> Yeah, it actually shows some form of altruism and code that the like yeah, because yeah. I, I think this is the only time that like at no point has the rules of acquisition ever showed like a moral code. Like well, except right. for like, like be nice to your enemy because it throws them off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. still that's not like altruistic. A, that's a tact. I think rules. Like but that's not like a. Well, right. I feel like rule seventeen is probably except when it's not a deal. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. You know, a lot of the rules of acquisition is, are this thing, except when it doesn't work that way. Except, except differently, else. yeah. Yeah, like war, like war is good for business, but also peace is good for business is our two rules. But anyways. And then, and That's, also before that, Dax is a, an 
it's another Star Trek problem where everybody knows every human story, like the Little Mermaid, but you never hear any yeah. other alien. Humanity is the only alien civilization with any culture. Or yeah, like I think fables. it should be noted that the story tries to tie or sort of buttress up its plot with uh, a comparison to the to the Hans Christian Andersen fable of Little Mermaid. Where right. A, Okay, so like hey. we're we're here at the crux of the episode. Bashir yeah. fucked a woman, but like she can't really like live in his life because of alien reasons, and so he's developed a he's his science finally a doctor impulse a scientist impulse <laughs> doctor time. impulse got tickled in him, and so he wants to like start pursuing and taking up this uh, sort of course of study about whatever muscular like regeneration, regeneration in, yeah. in the brain yeah. yeah yeah but it's a brain thing thing that we would have any sort of multi alien race organization would have to come from the fact that everybody comes from different sized planets so they're going to be evolved to different gravities and so that's totally right. we no- we even tell a story Dax tells a story about a hydrogen breathing Lothra and an oxygen. Dax has all the stories about weird ass aliens that you never see is a theme that gets set up for the entire series. Uh, yes. <laughs> like, so we go to this. Oh, one, how could they woman- how could they be in the same room together? I don't know. <laughs> So we've developed a story that she's going to have to make a decision. Does she want to live in Bashir's world or does she want to be a Elysian? Is that what her name, what her race is called? Elysian, yeah. Elysian. Does she want to be Does she want to be an Elysian for life? World. <laughs> yeah, or does she want to be a, or, you know, does she want to be someone who can live and fuck with Bashir and be a Starfleet officer? Mm-hmm. And But also they, given- they do talk about other Starfleet problems like I'm going to be somewhere else. We're going to meet like. Maybe of two course, weeks out of the course. Year. But basically, they've Which given is, the okay, problem is: do you want to conform to the general, to the whatever the one right. G that they regulate all starships and all starship for Starfleet bases to be, or do you want to struggle but be, you know, of your people and of your race? And and much like the Little Mermaid, she wants to fuck the, the prince, and so she like so right. she gives up so much to fuck the prince, and she ends up giving up too much, and like she loses. But at the end of the movie, she li- she does live happily ever after, and because it's a Disney movie, right? It's, like, it's a Disney movie, and it's a Disney prince. But the Hans Christian Andersen story, I do know enough to know that it is not a happy ending. No, it's, it's not. I don't. That never was. And it's funny to me that Dax is like, oh, it does not end well. Because mm-hmm. when did that movie come out? Like 1991? I think 89 is when I yeah. yeah. But now, nowadays, anytime you mention The Little Mermaid, sorry, Hans Christian Andersen, it's the Disney movie that comes up in people's Of course, yeah. yeah. And so we get to the crux that she makes a decision to tell Bashir to fuck off, that she doesn't want his special potion. Which automatically, I guess, just breaks them up. They're not even going to attempt to be, like, you know, a relationship anymore. And, um... She basically, you know, rejects the the procedure, and that is actually right. the the plot. The not the handle faced and the stealing of the funyuns and like the like none of that is like important. Like, like no, and it's, it's just that creepy core. to me the fact that they were only going to see each other like two weeks out of a year, anyways. They could Afterwards. be in a relationship. It's just Julian is an asshole and doesn't want to be in a relationship. Because the only thing he was ever interested in was fixing her. 
<laughs> yeah, that, that's yeah, and my I don't really... conception of him. Like I was like, oh, you don't want to do the thing, the awesome thing that I've figured out. Well, I'm not attracted to you anymore because right. my relationships are all about me. Yeah, that and, and that, that this whole episode, the third act, smacked of Julian's self satisfaction at being able to do some science on, like fix his, like a fixer upper, like she's, well, she's yeah, some yeah. sort of project for him, and not like a person. And I felt like that was a real problematic aspect of this of this episode. I mean, if that's what you want to sell, but you're still like telling me that Julian's a nice guy. It's like, no, he's kind of a creep. I think he's a creep because he's, yeah, yeah, me too. I, at the end, at, at the end of this, anyway, he's too. a nice creep. He's he's got good intentions, but at the same time, he's still only he's still ultimately only yeah. interested in. We're kind of creeping into the territory of what I would change. Yes, and okay. I think so, I think that are should we get to that point? Because yeah, we should end, get into it. Yeah. Okay. So end, I'm gonna. I mean, we can wrap up what happened at the end. Can I fire purely on what I should change? What I can change? Because this is really buttressed up to the episode of all the points you guys are making. Right. Go for it. I okay. think we're okay. all circling around the same. Thing. <laughs> okay. Okay. This story should have been about what it wanted to be about, and I think that 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 fact that I even have to say that sentence is an indictment on the writers' room and the producers of the yes, show. Yes. Absolutely. Uh, okay. So this show wants to be about. Do science has the ability to pursue a change of your race to make you conform to the mean average of of the people that you associate with? So does she change to be, you know, I don't want to say like in with the cool kids, but in with the majority? Or does she retain what is interesting and unique about unique. her minority yeah. even though it means that for like 90 percent of the time her life is just pure struggle but that idea that she gets to describe that like she gets to go home in her room and she gets to go into zero g's and it's like getting into a hot tub i think if it was written modernly it would say like it's like or if it was two women talking they would say it's like taking off your bra <laughs> like you know like that is such a like a like i when you hear two women talk about their day, like their life, like the idea of taking off your bra is like the most enjoyable thing in the world. And I don't know if men have a corollary because we don't have to I wear. I don't know. Yeah. But yeah. anyway, so like she says, it's like getting into a hot tub. It's like this, your home. And like, she gets to connect to her people. She gets to connect to who she is. She gets to be who she purely is. I mean, she was Raised as a teenager, you know, as a little girl, flying in zero gravity. She could fly. There were a race of aliens who could fucking fly. And that's fine. <laughs> I'm all cool yeah. with it. Like, I'm all, and that's who she is. And I and I buy that. And that's what the story should be about. Take the handle face guy out. We don't need a B story. Like, that's bullshit. The, the central conflict of this episode should be about this. And she wants to fuck a guy. But, like... How much does she want to fuck a guy? Does she want to fuck a guy so much that she changes who she is? And and almost see the scene. What I would like to have seen is the episode constructed to where at the end of the episode, Bashir. The only thing that I know about him is that he's a doctor. So you ha- and he likes to fuck like people. Like I think because, right. And and from what I read, as something so this I, is the first time we've actually seen him get anywhere. With get it. actually get fucked. We've heard I that he has. But that like, oh, he finally, was, 
He was worried because he's British and because he's got an accent and because he was playing his role in a such a way. He was actually worried. He wanted his character to, to be clearly have a case of the not gays. Uh, <laughs> like, and okay, like, guy. Yeah, Are you yeah. kidding me? No, I. he talked that, about it. We were all very homophobic in the 90s. We were, we were all, all very homophobic. Yeah, we were all very homophobic. Alexander Siddig wanted to make it clear that Julian Bashir had a case of the not gays. That is, but, that is, that is, that is shit. That's what that is. Okay, it's okay. not. I. It's not. I think the yeah, whole, you're right. It's not it's, defensible. But I'm saying in the '90s, I was an asshole dude, too. Dude, we still lines. have to like. We still have to like deal with writers having to write for actors not having the not gays. That's it's, why Spock in the new it, Star Trek. That's why Spock was with Aurora is to make sure clear that Spock had a because he had a gay actor playing a role that was a weird guy who didn't emotionally connect with people. They had to make yeah, it clear he had a case a of the not gays. Yeah, it's yeah, that's too bad because <laughs> yeah, that is too yeah. bad. I, I think it brings the, every, the, I think it brings. Well, I mean, we see what it brings. It brings dog shit characterization into it. Yeah, yeah, and so like Bashir was always pushing to get laid on the show, and I don't think it's because Alexander Siddig is an asshole, but it could have been. I don't know, but I think it's because Alexander Siddig wanted. Okay. Different he had too many apples. scenes with Garrick, is what you're saying. I'm saying that he's a <laughs> who was told he, to play it gay for the first season. He until knew they were like that too, his character was slightly effeminate. He knew that his character was foppish and British, and he was foreign all over the place. And so and I think he, he, and he was like, "I was supposed to be the captain of this series before exactly. you got the black guy. Exactly, I'm supposed to be laying chicks." <laughs> so he like, wanted to make right, it dude, clear that he had a up. case of the not gay. So they wrote the story. So, like, that's fine, but I almost get this idea that, like, the, the story could have ended with the research continuing and finding another Elysian or another, Ill, like, low-gravity race to, like, tam- that agreed to be tampered with so that he could publish the paper because that's what exploratory doctors do. Right. That's well, what they even say at one point, do. you can still publish... Yeah. They even tell him you can still publish. I would have, if I was writing this story, I would have really sort of delved into that line of what a publishing physician is supposed to have done to continue the research. And like, let's say that like the last act, the last couple scenes is him bringing on some new person and it's last act. And she's like, why, you know, and it's a woman or a man. It doesn't matter. So you want to help people raised in low G to acclimate to one G sort of uh, spaceships and stuff like that. And he's like, of course, that's what I want to do. I want to continue that research. And you want to publish, and she, I want to publish a paper. Why do you want to do this? And he was like, well, I've met someone that moved me. And he was like, you want to, you know, because it seemed like that, like if Julian was pursuing this so that he could get a body of evidence to pers- to convince her to continue, that's like a yearning. It's a bad yearning. And I think he's, yeah. it's wrong, well, that's but it's how, a yearning and it's a goal that he would have had based on his character and, and his flaws right. of his character, well, but his character. And I would have liked to have seen that. It's, he's a man who's going to go the extra mile to like convince this girl to keep fucking him. And like, that is super interesting to me. Yeah. That's, what that's I how I would have changed it. If this were like, say this were a modern golden age of TV series Mm-hmm. Where we're not so concerned with the, everybody being likable, you play mm-hmm. up the fact that he's a creep. You still have him do all this stuff, 
And then you make him a total like Gaius Beltar since he looks like the guy yes. anyways and yeah. gets confused to where <laughs> he's basically he's like, Gaius she, Beltar. Yeah, where yeah. she falls in love with him and you think he's a nice guy maybe, but nope, he's only using her to forward his research and in the end he's like, "Oh, okay. Well, and cuz at the end of this well, no, I'm like, saying that like when, he still at wants the end to of this, he's not her. really into her when she turns him when she says she's not into it. By the end of it, he's like, "Oh yeah, I'm not really into it anymore, anyways." And the guy's doing the Klingon opera, like just make him an like if it were a modern TV series, it would be a whole thing about his character being a like setting it up as like he's kind of like his his hubris is his exactly. character that he's a problem that he's treating these this woman like, but he has a because but he has a clearly then, defined it, it, goal. And it's he's just got a clearly defined goal, and he's doing actions to pursue that goal. Which yeah, I think yeah. Like is at the like beginning, what we like to see in a person now. Yeah, like at the beginning of the episode, you think maybe he is in love with her, and then it's like a reveal by the end that like he's just using her to forward his own stuff, and and we hate him, but we love to hate him. It's and that's one thing I would change. The other thing is like if she's an alien that flies around all the time, give her some wings or something. Give her some arms that look like that's. Give her, give me more ideas that she's adapted to f- yeah. or exist in a low G. Yeah. yeah. If right. she was in a purely zero G planet, which has got to be ridiculously small. Yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, like almost oh, small oh. to the point of not having a round shape. Like she would, she would have not have looked exactly like, like bipeds that have formed on her. Yeah. She, she looks like the, the Klingon with Botox from the Luxwana Troy that was approved. Yeah. She looks like she's yeah. got the same face ridges as that. And, and she's got a photo of her brother skydiving with her. That's about all she's got, which is like them skydiving over a green screen. Or By the way, I love that. They, that was a, that was a two. That was a two point callback. They set it up. Who's this in the picture? And she doesn't tell him in that scene. But later on, when she wants to let him know, she's going to take her panties off. She says, "That's my brother." Like I like yeah, that, yeah. that was a two. That was a two. That was. A I did like that too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But that picture looked pretty bad too. That like, was the uh, way that she fl- chose to let him know she was going to peel her panties. <laughs> like, so. right. Right. What's your? You what any, would you change you? Um, basically I, I was going to go a different direction altogether. I, I think that, awesome. uh, this, this episode really doesn't have a, it brings up a bunch of questions and doesn't answer them again. It doesn't have like a central thesis and I think it gets distracted. I think that Bashir shit is distracting. There's no need for her to fall in love. If you're going to say something about identity and disability, you don't need to do it with the shitty sleazy doctor on DS9, you know? You could have had how she follows command. You know, that was actually interesting. You know, her, her, the stuff with her and Cisco and him bristling and having to deal with that. I, I mean, there was, a, there was other routes they could have gone with without having a shitty romance between Bashir and this, this woman who actually, she as a character, she has no, there's no reason why she would be interested in him. Other than she was like working on, <laughs> he was working on her. <laughs> He really worked on her hard, though, Hugh. Yeah, well, he knows how he he listened to mystery, and he knows the game. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you're you're no, you're right though. It's not like it's not like she just all of a sudden decided that she really wanted to fuck like mourn. 
from like Coors Bar or something. <laughs> right. Like she right. Didn't, it didn't show something particular about her. She just succumbed to the wiles of a man who really put his elbow into it, you know? You know, and, and, and there's some interesting stuff that, like, that popped up and then was squashed, you know? The whole the whole bristling at the your superiors talking about you, uh, all that stuff. I think there could have been some real danger with the Gamma Quadrant, and that was kind of dropped eventually. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. There's some, there's just, they could have gone, they clearly could have gone a different route to say something about what they were trying, you know, what they were trying to communicate. Um, but they kind of just got all convoluted. So I, yeah, I probably would have done something else. It was a, it was a, it was a God. I mean, like the episode, the, I feel like we had a lot to say about it, but the episode in general is just lost. Like it is like, it is like you stop it. I stopped at 35 minutes in and I just turned to my wife and I said, I don't know what this episode is about. Like, I mean, I res- it was like it felt like a quintessential diversity episode and I feel like an asshole like But how? Calling but, it that because like, I don't but, know. But and that's no, like I'm like, I feel like a like man's right saying that. Yeah. yeah. You could tell that, that that's what they were shooting for, which would have been nice because that's the kind of, you know, science fiction is a good place to talk about those kind of issues. Yeah, about yeah. Identity and disability. I felt like they and fitting they in just with put... the mainstream. But having a shitty, sleazy doctor try to fix somebody, and then at the end saying, "Nah, no thanks, I'm good." <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like it's um, like a '90s television way of playing it safe with that kind of storyline. I felt like, and I think that maybe. it probably. I mean, if you want to look at it as towards like. If you were a 13-year-old kid who was, and I'm just saying that because I would have been 14. Okay, if you're a 14-year-old kid, I would have been 14 when this episode aired. And if I was, like, say, wheelchair-bound, and all of the issues that I would have had to face in life, I wasn't. But if all of the issues that I'd had to face in life, would I have gotten some sort of life-buttressing pathos from this? Maybe. Right. It could have helped me out a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, I I really could have. But, like, that doesn't make it a good story. And, like, I think that you could have made it better without sacrificing the life-buttressing, like, improvement. Right, right. You know, like, sort of, yeah. Yeah, it was... Uh, like, uh, I think yeah, that it felt be, kind of after-school like, special. Did you guys look that, at IMDb on this? Did you guys... Did you guys? I did not. Yeah, let's just run through this, I guess. You want we'll... me to get you... Uh, you guys want to take a guess at... At what uh, uh, IMDb thinks of this, on everything on mem- everything on Memory Alpha seemed to talk about the problems of this episode. So I'm going to go six point I'm going to go six point seven. All I right, think- well, you guys almost split it in the middle. It's six point three <laughs> out of five hundred and sixty five <laughs> votes, which is a pretty high. A lot of people f- voted on this. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's basically a D minus. I mean, <laughs> yeah, that, that's about right. I was I was shooting high because I felt like maybe people responded to it well or something. But. The next episode is the rule is called the rules of acquisition. Rules of folks. acquisition. Oh, yes. And I happen to know that in this episode is is noted in all Deep Space Nine circles as being the first episode where a certain word is stated. That involves right. the gamma quadrant. Yes. Yes, it's a big it's a big episode for us it's in a, so many ways. Oh, in a shit. lot of ways, Rules of Acquisition is the first episode of the Deep Space Nine we talk about when we talk about Deep Space nice. Nine. Yeah, yeah. So well, maybe we should just we should say that's it for this episode. Three to be three to be about. 
Did you know that some Deep Space Nine podcasts have more reviews than us on iTunes? Doesn't that piss you off? Please review us on iTunes. We need to feel loved sometimes. Please follow us on Twitter at AcquisitionPod and on Tumblr at the rules of acquisitionpodcast.tumblr.com. So after some of Quark's Romulan ale, I wouldn't mind some zero-g fucking. Since I am a robot, I am either the weight of a flash drive or several thousand pounds, if I am in my full metal robot suit. Floating around in that giant clunky thing sounds like a romping good time. Not that I would ever consider fucking anything or anyone else. That thought turns my stomach. I can't really get drunk either. <laughs>